0: Join us as we explore a variety of school safety topics, ranging from digital citizenship to STEM and science lab safety, from bullying among students to school-wide trauma responses.
1: Well, hello everyone. On today's program, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome Dr. Kenneth Roy, America's most trusted science STEM and CTE safety education authority, to our conversation. After performing some background intelligence gathering, I'm even more impressed with his relevant background and experience in promoting safer practices across these subject areas in our schools. Now, Dr. Roy began his career in secondary education as a chemistry, physics, and a math teacher. He eventually served as a science and math department chair and ultimately K-12 administrative director of science. Currently, Dr. Roy is the Director of Environmental Health and Safety, the Chemical Hygiene Officer, the Designated Asbestos Compliance Coordinator, a PCB Program Coordinator, the Silica Compliance Coordinator, all at Glastonbury Public Schools in Connecticut, as well as being the Chief Science Safety Compliance Advisor and Chief Science Safety Blogger for the National Science Teaching Association or NSTA, the Safety Compliance Officer for the National Science Education Leadership Association, which is NCELLA, and the author of 13 science and STEM laboratory safety books and over 800 safety articles in professional journals and associations, including CS Cubed, ITEEA, NSTA, NCELA, and many more. He also recently served as a co-researcher for Pennsylvania State University on a national safety study examining factors associated with STEM education and CTE laboratory accidents across the United States, which is truly a fascinating snapshot of safety in schools today. Dr. Roy, you are truly an inspiration and a verified example of educational excellence. It is my distinct privilege again to introduce you to a person who truly makes schools safer, Dr. Ken Roy. Welcome to the program, Dr. Ken.
2: Thank you, JP, most appreciated. I really appreciate the fact that you're long time for me to uh, have this conversation with you for this very important subject.
1: I am humbled and grateful that you are here. Now, Dr. Ken, today uh, I'd like to talk about PPE. Can you, can you share some of your experiences with PPE? Because I know during the pandemic, a lot of us learned that term PPE, personal protective equipment. But specifically, how does that make
2: schools safer? Well, what we need to do is go back just a little bit in history first, around 1970. In 1970, NIOSH, NIOSH is the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health came into being along with OSHA. And what they did over time is they're the research arm, so to speak. Um, They've got some really terrific stuff out there. And one of the things is what they call the hierarchy of controls. In the hierarchy of controls, there are three basic levels. The top level, and again, the whole idea of hierarchy of control is to better protect the worker. And in this case, On the side, also the students, most certainly. Okay. But the first, the top drawer of this are engineering controls. For example, in a pandemic, you want to make sure you have appropriate ventilation. Ventilation is key. Now, here's an advantage right off the get-go that science labs have over other types of disciplines, such as uh, math, English, whatever. That is the ventilation system. Right In labs, 100% fresh air. Guess what it is in a math class?
1: I don't know, Ken. I'll say uh, four air exchanges per hour. 20% fresh air. 20%. 20% that's percent. quite a
2: difference. Yeah, 20%. So I'm in a lab, I get 100%. So anything that's in there, any type of viruses, any right. type of particulates, et cetera, et cetera, they're flowing through quick. It's going, going, because I'm getting all fresh air. In the math class, I only get 20%. Well, where does that other 80% come from? Oh, gee, it comes from all the other classrooms in the building. So I'm getting whatever everybody else is producing. I'm breathing it in, all right? So that, that that's a big problem. But anyway, so first you have these engineering controls. That's the first line of protection. The second one are administrative protocols. Uh, safe operating right. procedures, All right, What are the basic kinds of things that you need to do to stay safer? It doesn't matter if you're in a classroom of math or you're in a lab, whatever the case. Number three is what you're hit on today, and that's PPE, personal protective equipment. Right. Personal protective equipment. In other words, it gives you a barrier to protect you from when it comes to either breathing uh, visually from splashes on your skin, whatever the case. This has been really important relative to the case with COVID pandemic, most certainly, uh, as we've all learned in science. But the focus here most certainly is in the science because in the science, remember during a pandemic, you've got kids supposedly, if they're doing their hands on science, all right, They're close. So we had to adopt all new behavioral standards in addition to the personal protective equipment. So it goes well beyond the personal protective equipment.
1: And now I can remember personally from from science education, STEM education, CTE, that there were really a handful of what was considered uh, mainstream PPE for students and for the, the teacher to wear. Things like goggles and gloves lab coats or lab aprons uh have are there differences between for example Dr. Ken I have here a pair of safety glasses and I have a pair of safety goggles now what's the difference between those two and what are the applications specific to each one of those
2: see yours look just like mine <laughs> isn't that amazing that's that's just amazing anyway yeah very important first of all there's three basic types of hazards potential hazards in a laboratory there are biological hazards all right like spores pollen uh, bacteria et cetera et cetera then you have chemical hazards all right we all know acids alkaline et cetera et cetera right uh then thirdly are physical hazards glassware springs projectiles all that type of stuff so the comes out is you know how do i have that purse better personal protective effect what do i use and you bring up a really good point the first one indirectly vented chemical splash goggles right exactly. indirectly vented chemical splash goggles this is kind of the answer for all all right because uh say one or two instances this is the one you can use most certainly. Why? Because this has a flange that goes all the way around. And if you get a splash, it doesn't hit your eye, it protects you. So, the point here is if you're dealing with liquid hazards, number one, chemical, biological, primarily, right? You're trying to protect the eyes from a splash. This is what you are required, required you under
1: mandated legal. Mandated
2: legally under the OSHA PPE standard, the OSHA PPE standard, which is 1910.132, right? Now, can Can I stop you there
1: and ask you a question? Because I, I come from a long lineage of science and STEM teaching. And I can tell you, many of my students thought that that was an appropriate way to wear their goggles or hanging down around their neck.
2: Yeah. I'm assuming that is incorrect. These are for the eyes, not for the forehead or the <laughs> neck. Right? right. All right. Exactly. And it's funny you mentioned this. A quick, quick aside. When I first started teaching, I was going crazy. i tell 10, 20 times a period to kids, put them over your eyes, put them over your eyes, put them over your eyes. My problem is a legal issue. All right. My problem's a legal issue because we have in the state that I'm in, Connecticut, We have a goggle statute, a goggle statute, which says basically if you're going to have a splash potentially, you must have on indirectly vent chemical splash goggles. Well, if the kid's on the forehead, I know it, and the kid gets blinded because it's not over his eyes, I'm it legally, all right? That's never going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. So what I ultimately turned around and said, okay, kids, when mine are on, yours are on, when mine are off, yours are off. That's it. No in between, and you get only one shot at it. If I catch you once, fine. The rest of the time, you're gone, All right? Because I care, I don't want you to be blinded. And this is what would happen if you did not have this over your eyes. Now, physical hazards, a little bit different. Physical hazards, spring, a glass or et cetera, safety glasses with side shields are acceptable. Yep, you got them, you got them, All right? Those are acceptable for use, but again, Put this on in a chem lab? I don't think so. Useless. This Completely useless,
1: and that opens yeah. up the educator to liability.
2: Yes, right. And because of the potential exposure underneath, up on top, and on the side, right? So these are only, you find these in physics labs, for example. That's fine. Never in a chem lab or a bio lab, right? But in a chem okay, lab, so bio let, lab.
1: Gotcha. So yeah, let bio your lab. lab if you're using chemicals, liquids, heat, or glassware, absolutely right. indirectly vented chemicals flash And now, I'm sure they need to be certified too. These are not dollar store versions, correct, Dr. Ken?
2: No, they must meet the ANSI ISEA Z7.1 D3 standard. The ones in the dollar store, which basically, if you want to convert what I said, in the dollar store, if this gets hit with a projectile, the dollar store type is gonna shatter. It doesn't meet the ANSI ISEA standard. That's the problem. And of course, teachers wanna save money and they'll see it for a dollar, a dollar and a quarter, whatever. Um, and they'll go out, and, they'll, and I've seen this. They'll, they'll buy 24 of them and bring them back to give them hand them out to the class. Again, useless. Now there's one other little catch, all right? This type is either indirectly or directly. All right. Right now, these caps are closed. So it's indirectly vented. When the caps are open, now all of a sudden it is directly vented because the liquid can go through right. the hole at the top. Now, I have an anecdote. I was in a class one day, and the a kid comes up in the middle of a chem class and says to the teacher, Oh, gee, my cap fell off. <clears throat> can, can I have a new pair? The teacher says, Oh, don't worry, Johnny. I'll give it to you at the end of the period. Just finish up the lab. <laughs> Wait, No, really? no, no, it doesn't work that way. Again, you are subjecting yourself to tremendous liability because the kid, first of all, you know, you go to court, the, the lawyer's going to have every one of those kids come up and in fact, go to them and say, hey, what did your teacher do when Johnny went up? The, you know, it's going to be bad news all the way around.
1: Amazing, amazing. And now let's just stick with protective eyewear because, well, let me ask you this. Are they uh, used once and disposable like nitrile gloves? Or how do people typically maintain their protective eyewear, Dr. Ken?
2: Yeah, basically what you want to do is you need to sanitize and or disinfect them. Now here's the catch. We have goggle sanitizers, in other words, UV cabinets. You put them in there and teachers saying, oh yeah, just put them in there, turn them on, whatever the length of time, usually 20 minutes, three minutes, whatever. Take them out and and they're good to go. Well, wait a minute. A goggle sanitizer, the UV is only good for biologicals. In other words, anything on this goggle that's biological, virus, bacteria, whatever. All right, that the will UV, be eliminated by UV, that. UV ball. yeah, it, they're done, they're done. All right, however, chemical residue, physical participant, you know, whatever it is, no, that, that doesn't do anything for that. So, the bottom line is this in order to make sure these are not only clean, but sanitized and or disinfected, you have to wash them first. And what I usually recommend is just uh, it, Dish detergent, warm water, have the kids clean wipe them off. Then you put them in the goggles and the sanitizer. So now, Great. because I took care of the chemical and the physical by washing it with the dish detergent, put them into the sanitizer, takes care of the bacteriological stuff. But well, that's the procedure you have to use. And I couldn't tell you how many teachers do not follow that protocol, which is really unfortunate.
1: I. I agree from from my understanding in the chemical hygiene plans or environmental hygiene plans that exist across the nation, there is typically a goggle sanitation plan or a goggle hygiene yeah. plan yeah. and you're right. it does need to be cleaned, uh, dis- sanitized and disinfected Correct. and during uh, I'm of a certain vintage. And I remember the lysol dip method, and that was mixing an ounce and a quarter of lysol into a gallon of uh, ideally uh, distilled water, immersing those goggles in there for fifteen minutes, then rinsing them off. Uh, and if they had to be dried uh, after they dried rather, if there were any spots on the on the lens, which are typically polycarbonate lenses or 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 a oh. similar substance. You would use just lens paper, so you didn't scratch that. Like with the abrasive craft paper towels that are out there right. in schools, and then we would run them through the UV goggle sanitation cabinet for uh, a cycle, and that was good. Um, one, so, one yeah, side,
2: this is great. Yeah. One side note: teachers, you know, they'll have these cabinets for years. They don't even know if they're working, right? Right. All right, well, there's little peep holes usually on them in the upper right-hand corner or left-hand corner, whatever. Turn it on. You want to make sure you see a bluish color in there. That tells you the bulb is operational because if it's not, you're putting them in there and it's doing nothing, all right? But take up your time, all right? That's all (laughs) it's doing. So you want to make sure that the, you know, goggle attire is working the way it is designed to work. Now, having said all that, they are expensive. And one alternative that I don't necessarily advocate, but it does work, certainly are using alcohol wipes, right? Right. I was um, going to just ask you that question. You read yeah, my you mind. Use alcohol is wipes. Um, it's okay. It works. However, now you're adding all these fumes to the system. You know, you're doing all kinds of stuff that you shouldn't necessarily be doing. Um, but again, if you don't have it, that's number two.
1: I also read when you mentioned alcohol wipes that if you were to clean your goggles with the ammonia based wipes, that that ammonia can eat away at the adhesive that holds the lens in there and then actually renders that goggle useless. So I'm glad you mentioned alcohol wipes. This
2: is why you wanna use dish detergents, Right. right? Because it's relatively neutral on reacting with any of the components that are in this device.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, I think we've covered protective eyewear uh, pretty thoroughly. That's good. This is this is one of one of the other common things we've seen are these uh, nice nitrile gloves, and I'm sure that there's people that wear them, people that don't wear them. But what does the law say about wearing protective uh, hand protection?
2: Again, remember, first of all, it's funny you say law. Because OSHA basically covers employees, it does not directly cover students. Right. Um, there are a number of states that have statutes or laws or whatever to cover students. Having said that, under that's all legal safety standards. There are also better professional safety practices.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Better
2: professional safety practices. All right. And for example, the NSTA, ITEEA, and CELA, the whole American Chemical Society, they all have these. And these are today in the courts, just as effective as the legal standards. It didn't used to be that way. Legal safety standards used to be up here, better professional practice down here. But the last 10, 15 years or so, now they are the same. I know this because I do expert witness work. And when I do that, I pull on both of those to see if, in fact, the teacher and or the administration has liability issues uh, with the accident that happened. So, okay. so, yeah.
1: Now, I'm assuming that those nitrile gloves are disposable. They should not be kept and reused. And I know that some teachers like to protect the environment
2: and save them. What are your thoughts on that? Um, first of all, nitrile gloves should be used when dealing with hazardous chemicals, okay. right? chemistry classes, for example. Uh, you don't need them so much in a biology class. Um, you can use vinyl gloves, um, not latex. I still right. find latex everywhere. It's an unbelievable number of people that are allergic to latex, it's just, just wild. But um, yeah, nitrile gloves, there are some gloves that, depending what you're dealing with, right. you may want to dispose of appropriately um, because you cannot necessarily disinfect them or sanitize them or clean them off. Whatever. Uh, the other thing, big thing is, is there a tear in the glove? Right. You right. wear it after so long. Uh, you have fingernails; they can cut, make a sweat in that. And you've got to train the students, very important. Before they put those gloves on, you check them out. Make sure they're in one piece, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not always the things you see, it can also be the things you can't see and dealing with it. Um, most schools, at least when I do inspections, I find in the students' lab drawers, they're the gloves. And they use them and they use them and they use them, right? Um, again you must clean them off, make sure they are sanitized, clean, then sanitized, disinfect. Um, but again, can we do that for so long? Can they start falling apart <laughs> right? So that, that's that's the deal. But if you're dealing with something that's really bad news, very serious health risk, whatever, use it once, take it off appropriately and dispose of them appropriately.
1: And now I want to change uh, subject areas and go to CTE. If you're in a metalworking or a woodworking laboratory, definitely need to wear protective handwear when handling lumber, metal, etc. But those are typically different material. They're not nitrile gloves. They're leather gloves. They're work
2: gloves All specific right. to that application. Right, and those get dirty. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. They get, but it's visible grease, oil, um, you name it it's on it. Um, and I've seen some really ugly gloves doing some of these inspections. I'm sure like, you have these, these have been around for a century. They've got to be. I mean, I can't, you know, they like hold themselves up. Um, so again, uh, again, train the kids, make sure they're make sure they no tore tears, rips, or anything. Uh, and even now, you have a chemical invasion. Right. The oil, the grease can go through the material that the glove is made of, and you're exposing the skin, which you, some people have sensitive skin. Uh, they can break out in a rash from it, get an infection, whatever. So, it, you know, it's the same old story. You need to keep on top of it. Be vigilant, be observant. Before you put any kind of PPE on, inspect it. Inspect it. And when you take it off, inspect it because. Whether you're the next user or somebody else, you want to make sure it's in good shape. Thank you very much for that. And now,
1: a lab apron or a lab coat, that's also another barrier
2: or a a first layer of defense. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Usually, typically in K-12 labs, um, like science, uh, whatever, um, usually it's an apron. Right again, non-latex. Very, very important. important. Very yes. very important. non Again, allergies and sensitivities to that. Correct. Absolutely. But again, when you're using that, well, how long can you use it? You know, um, the biggest issues I find are not so much in science in tech ed; it's in the art area. <laughs> Right? Ah, well, I was actually just going to go there. I'm glad you brought because that up. Because in the art area, you know, you you look at these things and, you know, they're like Picassos in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've got, you know, everything that they've ever done in the art class because it's hanging on their apron and they right. don't keep them up and they keep them forever. All right. I'm not, I'm not blaming the teachers. A lot of times it's just a f- fiscal kind of a thing. Uh, money costs money for these things. All right. But again, you know there is a point that you get to. Uh, you want to make sure again: no rips, no tears, no seepage through. Um, the whole idea is to protect the chest, the body from exposure. And right. you, usually, it's it's the chemical and the biological that you need to be concerned with with that type of thing. Um, the lab coats, which you tend to find more at post-secondary, though I do sometimes see it at uh, at high schools. Um, again gotta be careful with lab coats because some of them tend to be absorbers, right. right? They tend to be absorbers. So if I'm dealing with a hazardous chemical, it can be absorbed. And again, now what I thought was protecting me is actually a sponge, sucking it in, giving right. it right to the surface of my skin. Now it got a big problem, right? So again, vigilance, pay attention. If you notice spots or whatever, Get it laundered. You gotta get it cleaned, right? Um, and this same just can't, very good advice. keep using these things over and over and over. And unfortunately, in schools, that tends to be the mentality. I hate to say it, but that's what I say. I'm just going anecdotally from what I see.
1: And your experience is what counts. That's why you are America's most trusted science expert. <laughs> In the no, just like in the community.
2: school district, when I, go to a, when I go to enter one of the schools, the principal runs out and says, what's wrong? <laughs> Not, Hi, Dr. Roy, how are you today? What's wrong?
1: <laughs> right. well, well,
2: they know if they see me, it's bad news. That's why I never tell them where I park my car. <laughs> good,
1: good, good thinking. I like that strategy. Now, I want to touch on something you just mentioned when referring to the uh, aprons in the art room. So I've had multiple conversations with educators over the decades as you have and something I hear often is we know we need proper protective gear whether it's indirectly vented chemical goggles lab coats or lab aprons protective eyewear whatever it is I've gone to the principal and they say well we sorry I just don't have the money left in the budget for that uh, how do you how do you help someone in that situation dr ken
2: that unfortunately is a problem out there um and the principals won't come in okay oh don't worry you know don't worry about being sued you'll always be held harmless <laughs> legal oh. you're held harmless um if, if something happens oh gee and what about if you or the kid gets hurt Held harmless means nothing as far as I'm concerned, right? With some of these injuries, you know, they're lifelong. I mean, it's, it's just craziness. Exactly. Uh, what the teacher needs to do, first of all, understand, it is the teacher in that laboratory who legally determines the safety protocols that are to be in use, not the principal or the administrator. Legally, it's the teacher who academically has been prepared, experience-wise supposedly knows what they do, what they shouldn't do. So my point is, if the teacher believes it is unsafe without that PPE, you have two choices. You either flip to another activity that does not require the PPE, or you say, sorry, principal, but my class is not doing the hands-on work because we do not have the appropriate safety protocols in place, including the appropriate PPE. And understand, Principal, that I'm protecting not only me, I'm protecting you because we have joint liability should something happen.
1: Right, shared liability, exactly. That's that's very good information to know, absolutely. (laughs) Dr. Ken? This has been absolutely a fantastic conversation about PPE, usage in schools, making schools safer. But I want to end this with a a special question just for you. Uh Because, (laughs) oh yes, oh yes. I have some magical powers. And if, if, if Dr. Ken, if you could make one impact to safety education today with just a snap of your fingers, what would that be?
0: Training.
2: (laughs) I mean, it sounds like a simple thing, but unfortunately it's not being done to the degree that it needs to be. We have to know, teachers have to know the legal safety standards they're responsible for, and also the better professional safety practices they're responsible for because if they are not followed, it will be a very unsafe teaching learning environment. And that is what is key. You wanna make changes? It's the key, remember, the teacher is the one that's in charge of safety. They're the ones that have to have the background. They must have the training so they know what to do to make it safer to do the hands-on types of activities that you absolutely must have if you're going to understand science Tech ed, engineering, and art—those are the three areas that you find these issues.
1: And like you said, sometimes in other areas as well. Art, yes. cosmetology, uh, various. There's there's inherent risks. I think across every one of the disciplines that's open, and and I think you have job security. <laughs> Yes, that's what I yeah. often am told. <laughs> <laughs> because of that lack of, of appreciation. I, I'm not even sure that's the right word. Probably safety awareness. That yes, across, raising across the level the
2: of, sector. Raising levels of awareness. Now, there is some good news in the safety wars. I do believe things, for the most part, in the science areas and the tech ed have been improving because... The microscope is on them because of lawsuits and in other types of things that are raising their level of awareness. Problem, however, is STEM and STEAM courses, right? Because now, supposedly, this is supposed to be joint, and it's not happening. In other words, you're supposed to have science, tech ed, and engineering. Well, there's such a shortage with tech ed and engineering. They're having the science people do it. Oh yeah! Don't worry. The principal says I'm sure you worked with your father when you were a kid in the garage, uh, working with the power tools. So you must know how to use them. Go ahead and do it. No training. All right. It's crazy. And then they don't know what to how to train the kids. So we're seeing more anecdotally instances of accidents uh, in those kinds of labs.
1: And and I'm sure that the current uh, crisis in America with the teacher shortage is not helping that oh, at
2: all. It only exacerbates it. It really only exacerbates. And of course, a lot of intense are getting shy about it and say, oh, here, just show them a video. Just show them a video. Excuse me? You think I want a surgeon that knew how to figure out how to do my surgery by watching it on a video or YouTube? I don't think so. <laughs>
1: I agree. I agree. All right. Well, let's, let's recap here, Dr. Ken. Uh, I think that it's important for all of us as educators to recognize that there are some legal implications. For PPE usage, and proper PPE usage is probably a better Correct. way to safety. Correct. And and that really PPE is only one of those safety actions that's used to mitigate those hazards and risks in science, STEM, CTE, art, and all those other subject areas. Ken, it's been exceptionally enlightening. Just to learn more about this valuable aspect of having a true holistic or comprehensive safety program and that that PPE component is just one small little piece of that overarching whole whole uh, solution.
2: A crap I, hope that, so
1: <laughs> I hope at some point you're able to join us again in the future and we can continue the conversation because you're giving us the information that we need And those intelligence and informed insights, uh, those professional standards, I wrote this down, professional (laughs) standards and safer practices for educators across the globe are only possible through that awareness. Uh, I want to express my gratitude to you, of course, uh, for all your help in making schools safer across the United States and Canada and actually around the whole world because I know you're an international safety celebrity and you truly are an example of educational excellence. uh, And you're a valuable contributor to the culture of safety awareness in science, STEM and CTE programs. Thank you again, Dr. Ken. And it is again, my honor and privilege to have sat with you for the past half hour.
2: It's my pleasure, believe me. And you're an official crusader now in safety.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, I appreciate that.
0: Take care have and be safer.
1: Yes, stay safer, my friend, <laughs> bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Safer Ed. We hope that the stories you have heard leave you inspired to create safer schools in your own community. If you found the content of this program helpful, we encourage you to share it with your colleagues and friends. Safer Ed is available to view at EdCircuit.com and on YouTube at EdCircuit. Safer Ed is also available as a podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you have thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics, please join the discussion on Twitter at EdCircuit and reference the hashtag SaferEd. Thank you for listening and we invite you to join us for our next episode of Safer Ed. Until next time, stay safe and have some fun doing so. This episode has been brought to you by Science Safety. Science Safety provides a comprehensive and holistic approach to science safety risk management for schools. As a leader in science, STEAM, CTE, and lab safety, Science Safety focuses on helping organizations build a culture of continuous safety while improving lab and science classroom policies to reduce the risk of injuries and resulting lawsuits. Learn more at sciencesafety.com.